Steelers Standard on Steelers Nation Radio and Podcast on Steelers.com. Jacob, you know what they say when I make assumptions, right? I have no idea what they say when you specifically make assumptions. They say these are most likely going to turn out to be right because my assumptions are always okay. right. I'm Tom Offerman. He is Jacob Recht. We make up the fabulous podcast team that brings you the Steelers standard. And the assumption that I'm making right now as we sit here Wednesday morning is an assumption that I think the Steelers are making as well. And that's that Mr. T.J. Watt, number 90, is going to be suiting back up and playing in his homecoming game, going back to Wisconsin, the land where he went to college, the land where he made him who he was is today. He goes home, plays in front of his hometown crowd, the Green Bay Packers. That's a huge addition for the Pittsburgh Steelers. And my question leading off this episode of this podcast is, how much of a difference does his presence really make for this team? Now, the last time he played a full game, they beat the Buffalo Bills, who look, by all accounts, to be a Super Bowl contender, if not, at the very least, an AFC conference contender. And the Steelers, with T.J. Watt leading the way on that defense, went into Buffalo and got their only win on the season so far. So part of me says this guy can make a pretty significant impact But the other part of me says maybe that was just week one and the Buffalo Bills were kind of spinning their tires a little bit trying to get traction going, which they clearly have in the past two weeks. Not sure which one's going to be the case. Mm. All I know is that you have to at least feel somewhat better about the Steelers' chances if T.J. Watt is suited up and playing. You absolutely have to because in the Raiders game in week two, I know you were just alluding to the week one performance that he had against Buffalo, in which I think he dominated that game. I think he yeah, he was probably the winning factor of that game. Uh, but you look at the, the Raiders game, the first half versus the second half, without T.J. Watt on the field in the second half, they got, what, one sack without him? And then in the Cincinnati game, they had zero. They let that 75-game streak of at least one sack uh, come to an end, something that we didn't think would ever come to an end during the T.J. Watt era because we were predicting here before the season started that he would break the Steelers' single-season record of sacks, which meant that with an extra game, eight, 17 games played, that he would get 17 sacks, and that averages to about one per game. And you would think with at least his presence there that someone else could also sneak in there for a sack. <clears throat> Excuse me. And... That didn't happen. First time in, in what, five years now that oh, they, they went that way, without yeah. a sack? It's crazy to think how long that's lasted. But here we are, and T.J. Watt is has proven his value by not even being on the field. And that's pretty impressive if you ask me to say to yourself, look how much my team is missing me. When I'm not when I'm not out there, that that's how you prove value. Even with all the injuries, Watt, Highsmith, obviously we know to it, and Alu Alu weren't a participant in the Bengals game. You should still probably get one sack at the very least if you're that Pittsburgh Steelers defense. I, I will say one thing though, and I heard Mark Caballi actually say this earlier this week. When you're down that many guys, as far as your pass rushing unit is concerned, it makes life a lot easier on opposing offensive coordinators because who would you rather face one-on-one, Cam Hayward or Isaiah Bugs? I mean, they're going to take Isaiah Bugs uh, seven days a week and twice on Sunday if they have that choice. 
So Cam Hayward gets schemed around. They double, triple team him all game long, take him out of the game, have someone handle Isaiah Bugs one-on-one. Same thing with Melvin Ingram. Double, triple team him, scheme towards him to neutralize his pass rushing threat, and you can take care of Jameer Jones one-on-one on the other side. That's what the Bengals thought they could could do, and they were absolutely correct. They went out and they executed that. So even though T.J. Watt maybe – he himself doesn't get a sack if he plays against the Bengals on Sunday, although it's it's likely that he would have just based on his track record. Mm-hmm. He's going to attract so much attention that one of those other guys, a Hayward or an Ingram, will find themselves free. But when you're down to two of what should be five or six prolific pass-rushing threats, it's going to make life a lot easier on those opposing offensive coordinators. I just think it's crazy going back to the conversation solely on TJ and kind of ignoring, I don't want to say ignore because they are important, but the other guys who are also injured, we're talking about the Steelers being down three, four, maybe five starters, significant players at least, maybe not starters, but the one guy you want out on that field is T.J. Watt. doesn't matter how good everyone else is. The one guy you need back out there is T.J. because he's that significant of a playmaker. Uh, he's that significant to your team's success. And I definitely think if T.J. Watt is out there, it is going to make life for the Steelers a lot easier because if he's not, as you said, Tom, you are left with really only one legitimate pass rusher in Cam Hayward left. And as great as Cam Hayward is, he can't do it all by himself. No, absolutely not. No one can be expected to do it by themselves. You need help and you need you know, a bunch of people pulling on that collective rope. That's how the Steelers have been able to rack up that sack streak mm-hmm. that was broken against the Bengals is that everybody had their hand in the pile, and it was just a prolific pass rush from five, six guys, and they don't have that just due to injuries right now. Um, we've talked on previous episodes of the Steelers Standard who do you think the most important player is for the Steelers, and for the first time in, I think, our lifetime, it, it isn't Ben Roethlisberger, and it is T.J. Watt now kind of need to have that Von Miller, Peyton Manning year-esque performances from him if the Steelers want to win. Uh, We'll get into this later in this episode. We'll talk about fixing the offense. The best way to fix the offense might be for the defense to force turnovers deep in opponents' territory, so the offense only has to go 10, 15, 20 yards to score. The unfortunate thing, though, Tom, is that Defense hasn't been forcing those turnovers. They haven't, other than Mr. T.J. Watt when he's right. And there was a tip ball drill drill that Terrell Edmonds got, but you would think a team that led the league two years ago in takeaways, I think only came in second place last year in takeaways. Um, A team that has led the league in sack each of the last what three or four Four years years. has not been doing that. Is not on pace to do that this year. Uh, maybe they need the tune-up game against Chicago a little sooner rather than later, like the Browns just had a, a week ago. But to your point, Tom, if the Steelers' offense wants to succeed with short ball, uh, with short field range to the end zone, the defense is going to have to step up. And right now, I don't want to be too harsh on the defense. They don't seem to be in sync the way they were in the past. But a lot of that has to do with the fact that they are down significant numbers and, and significant bodies. No, and that's exactly why I, I agree with you that I really don't want to pick on the defense too much because what can you do when you're down all those pieces, not just pieces, but significant impact players uh, on that side of the ball? 
but again, there's also part of me that says e- even if you're down those guys, how do you not get at least one or, or even two sacks against Joe Burrow or at least make him feel uncomfortable? I mean, he, he had all the time in the world all day Sunday. So that that's the one side that's a little disappointing. But I, I don't know. People are saying they completely are baffled that they don't get a sack. I kind of get it when, when you're stuck with just – Hayward and Ingram really as your premier pass rushers and the rest are second string, third string guys that are having to play first string minutes because of the injury problems. So I can kind of make a little bit of an excuse for the streak ending in that Bengals game, but you absolutely hate to see it go. Uh, A couple of other guys that I I don't want to say have been disappointing again on the defensive side of the ball, but two guys that you're just longing for more out of is those inside linebacker tandem of Schobert and Bush. Now, Schobert, uh, I think maybe the expectations got a little too high at the beginning of the season for it him. It seems so. It, it, it seemed like when you brought him in, he was the piece to kind of put a bow on the entire defense. You kind of got rid of your weakest link in Robert Spillane. And now, do you think it has something to do with the fact that the defense is a little too depleted, that he's being asked to do not necessarily too I, much? I but think his exposure in the Raiders game is because of that, because Bush was out, so he has to take on an even bigger role in that in the line, inside mm-hmm. linebacker spot. Uh, but I think he's perfectly fine when he's the number two guy to Devin Bush like he was against Cincinnati. But the, the problem is uh, you're not – seeing bad from both of them because it's not like you can just point at the film and be like, wow, Schobert stunk on that play or wow, Bush really stunk on that play. There's nothing there that really shows them stinking out loud. But the problem is, and more so with Bush than anything else, excuse me, is there's no playmaking happening there. And that's the big thing you wanted out of Devin Bush in his third season is become that playmaker that the Steelers thought you were coming out of Michigan when they decided to trade up into the top 10 to take you. Uh, You start to see guys like Devin White and Roquan Smith put that next step together this year. Uh, Devin White last year was a maniac in the playoffs. He's even better this year. Roquan Smith, pick six, the guy who just went into Heinz Field and beat your butt, Joe Burrow, just a week ago. So you start seeing those guys really start to round into shape and it's still early-ish, but you're getting into th- year three with Devin Bush now, and you don't see him really taking that leap into becoming an elite playmaker or even a good playmaker. He kind of is just staying in that average inside linebacker realm. Yeah, he is, Tom. And it's we were just saying it's maybe expectations were set too high for Joe Schober. But Not for Devin Bush. Our expectations deserve to be as high as yes. they were for Devin Bush. When you trade up, if you're the Pittsburgh Steelers, and you know this, this is, a, this is a, a, a franchise that's based off of tradition, and they don't typically make a lot of splashy draft day moves, especially when it comes to the first round. But when you trade up as high as you did for the first time since acquiring Troy Polamalu in the draft, and there's – Nothing left to be said about Troy Palomalu. When it, when you're the first guy to have a franchise like the Steelers do that for you since Troy Palomalu, the expectations are deservedly set at a high standard. And I think his rookie year, yes, he was just about coming into his own at the end of the 2019 season. He was forcing turnovers. He was great in pass coverage. Uh, he was about as fast to the ball carrier as any middle linebacker could have been in the NFL at the time. And we saw a somewhat slow start to the 2020 season and an unfortunate end early that year as well. 
So maybe it's just kind of the 2020 effect where give him a couple of weeks to kind of adjust to coming back. We saw that happen in 2020, and right when he was getting into his own groove that season is when he unfortunately suffered his injury. And now he's now he's recovering from that injury time. So expectations are high because of the pedigree he had coming out of school and the way the Steelers went about drafting him. But we were it was about this time a little bit later into the year uh, when Devin Bush really seemed like he was getting back to that elite level, that that top ten pick uh, esque level of a of a middle linebacker. So maybe we need to give him a couple, a little bit more leeway, give him a little two-week buffer zone, if if you will, uh, before we can really start to be critical on him. Yeah, I agree. Listen, we're gonna on this podcast learn from the mistakes of Bud Dupree's past, and you know these guys sometimes don't just instantly become T.J. Watts and make mm-hmm. an impact the second they step on the field. Sometimes they take the Bud Dupree route, and it takes three or four years before they finally get up to the speed of the NFL game and. F- make their impact really felt on the field. And even though there are different positions, the edge guys versus inside, I still think Devin Bush had a much better start to his career yeah, of course than, he did. Than, than Bud Dupree did. It's just maybe in that realm, Tom, you have to kind of give Devin that little buffer zone of a couple of weeks to start the season before he's just really back in the maybe, game shape. Maybe he takes speed. a little bit to warm up. Yeah. Maybe that's just going to be his DNA as a player. We, we don't know what kind of trends he's mm-hmm. going to have yet because he's only played one full season so far in the NFL. So maybe he is just a guy that, you know, he's just kind of there in September and October and in November and December is when he really starts to ratchet things up. Well, time will ops, time will obviously tell that tale for us when it comes to Devin Bush. Uh, Alex Highsmith, uh, I can assume as well that he will be playing on Sunday against the Packers. At least that's the vibe you're getting from the Pittsburgh Steelers. So the three-headed monster should be back. Melvin Ingram, Alex Highsmith, and T.J. Watt. That's huge for this game against Green Bay because that quarterback you're playing, he doesn't really have any weaknesses. Mm -hmm. So the best way to get about him is to make him feel a lot of pressure. Uh, Even that's a lot easier said than done because – Man, with Aaron Rodgers, even when the line is letting him down, he's, <laughs> he's just really good at knowing when to throw the football away, knowing when to move the move the pocket to the left or to the right and escape pressure and avoid sacks. So even if you're whooping up on your assignment across from you on the offensive line, there's just no guarantee that the ball is still going to be in 12's hands once you get home to him. Uh, but Steelers do have the best chance when that three-headed monster is healthy and rotating in and out of the football game, which I don't want to assume too much, but we're all us, the Steelers, in the same kind of page that they think these three guys, obviously Ingram's healthy, but the other two are going to join him on the field. Yeah, I think think as long as you have T.J. Watt out there with one of them, that could be enough. It's the same same Bud, Bud Dupree type of scheme where defense plans for T.J. Watt, they kind of leave the other guy open. And I don't care if it's Melvin Ingram or Alex Highsmith, the attention that T.J. Watt attracts is enough to be to let the other guy have a big day. But, Tom, you are right. When Aaron Rodgers is the quarterback, there is so only so much you can do. You can get to the guy all you want. You can, you can pour on five, six, seven sacks, you can get 10, 12, 11 
15 upwards of 15 quarterback hits uh it doesn't matter the uh-huh. guy is we we sit here and talk about the future is in good hands the future of the nfl is in good hands with guys like patrick mahomes and lamar jackson i don't know if even though patrick mahomes has that early super bowl ring i don't know if either of them will ever i don't know if any quarterback will ever reach the level of of pocket presence, whatever you want to chuck up to the wall, give him that that accolade. Aaron Rodgers is just as good as it gets when it comes to the quarterback position. And we saw that on full display last Sunday night against the San Francisco 49ers with so little time left, it did not matter. Give Aaron, Ro- give Aaron Rodgers the ball and he'll give you a chance to win that game. No question. He's incredibly terrifying. Now that actually kind of segues nicely into – the final thing I want to touch upon the defense here, the secondary, the people that Aaron Rodgers is going to be picking on all Sunday long at Lambeau Field. Uh, is this a case of the Steelers maybe putting too much faith in guys like James Pierre, uh, the guys like um, Arthur Mullet? Why in the world? And th- I put this more on coaching than I do the actual mm. personnel out there. How in the world – at that end of that first half against the Bengals, do you have Jamar Chase single covered by James Pierre? And that's where I think, do they have too much faith in this guy where they think he's good enough to run with that rookie and keep that rookie in front of him and not let him get behind him over the top of the defense? Because to me, I think that's the obvious spot where you have one if not two center fielders back there Mm. just to avoid that deep ball. Because like I've heard so many times, even if the Bengals, and they were really flirting with field goal range already before that pass, if you take away the over-the-top stuff and he hits Boyd over the middle to get to, like, the Steelers' 20, and you force them to kick a field goal before halftime and you go into the locker room down 10-7, to 7, that's a world of a difference, especially coming off of that Melvin Ingram uh, roughing the passer call. But instead, it's single coverage on the outside, James Pierre versus the best rookie skill position player so far in the 2021 draft class and he gets burnt like I think anybody would expect him to get burnt Mm -hmm. so I question the coaching as far as the way that they're utilizing the secondary Uh, you saw them get beat deep by Henry Ruggs in week two as well a little different story there because they're dealing with injuries that week Joe Hayden wasn't out there and Mink is trying to do too much but Kind of seems like Minka might have been trying to do too much on that Bengals play, too, with Jamar Chase. And I don't know if that's his fault. I I just think that maybe they think their secondary members are a little bit better than they actually are. And that that worries me just just slightly, not not immensely. But I think they need to be scheming more around safer plays in that secondary rather than, okay, Minka, go freeload Sutton, Hayden, uh, Pierre, they can handle it by themselves. I don't think that's the case. Hayden can, but I don't know about the other two. Sutton's been playing well this year, but still, I think that you need to err more on the side of caution back there than you do on, you know, like they had last year, which is they're like the wild, wild west back there. There's guys flying all over the place. Right. I, 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 I hope it's not the case, Tom, that we overestimated <clears throat> the potential for this secondary because so far it does seem that way. Uh, Granted, the uh, 61-yard touchdown pass to uh, Henry Ruggs, I mean, when you're putting Witherspoon on that guy, you can expect 99 times out of 100 that Henry Ruggs is going to run past him. And again, that's not Minka's fault because his main target that day was Darren Waller, 
However, it's a different conversation when there is no Darren Waller who you expect to be the main target in mid-range uh, passing yards. Uh, really, the number one guy was clearly going to be Jamar Chase. And to allow that touchdown pass uh, by James Pierre, you kind of think to yourself, well, this was everyone's training camp phenom, training camp surprise performer and maybe that was only because he was going up against guys in training camp when it was the preseason he was going up against non-starters i mean when you look at significant opposition that the secondary has faced they did do a good job of shutting down stefan diggs in week one and of course, yeah. I got to give them credit for doing so. And they've done a good job at shutting down slot receivers. There's only been 157 yards gained by the three slot receivers that they faced, and they faced some good ones. Cole and Beasley, a lot of that came, came on Cole Beasley. Like Cole Beasley had a pretty decent game when you look back at it. Tyler Boyd had the long touchdown, but that was that was about a 17 yard touchdown, and that was just a missed tackle by, by Melvin, Melvin Ingram. Ingram. And to me, Tom. I don't know if you would consider that a missed tackle. I mean, yes, it is a missed tackle, but Melvin, to me, after rewatching it, was going after the ball rather than the man. And I don't know if you want to chuck that up to coaching or just Melvin it's Ingram. Poor fundamentals. That's yeah. that's on Melvin Ingram. The coaches aren't coaching him to go for the hit stick there. They're telling him to put Boyd in the dirt. So, unfortunate incident there. They definitely could have walked away with a field goal after that possession. It, it was just adding on to was already a miserable day at that point so i agree with you that they, they've done a good job of shutting down slot receivers and they've done a good job of shutting down two of their biggest oppositions and stefan Diggs and then darren waller didn't have a big game it was just henry ruggs with a big game and for for vegas but right now when you're going up against i don't care how good stefan Diggs is i don't care how good darren waller is right now you have to prepare for the deadliest duo the deadliest quarterback wide receiver tandem in the nfl between aaron Rodgers and Devonte adams you can scheme up all you want you can spend 20 hours of each day this week preparing yourself for that duo they're going to come out there on sunday and do things that you never thought possible and that's what they do every week now i mentioned earlier that i think the best way to fix this offense is to just have this defense give them short field after short field after short field winning the field position battle forcing turnovers in opposing uh teams territory that's the best way i think that you can go about helping this offense and Look, Roethlisberger has only completed 28% of his passes that traveled 20 or more yards downfield over the course of the 2020 and these three games in the 2021 season. Obviously, that has a lot to do with the Steelers receivers having dropped 45 passes, which is the most in the NFL by far in that two-year window, or should I say last season in three games so far Those this drops year. have gone down, though, this year. Until, yesterday, until Sunday until against the Bengals. Then everybody couldn't catch the ball, especially at the end of that. But a lot year. of that came in garbage time. Still counts. Yeah, 28% uh, of his passes that traveled 20 more yards downfield. How do you stop doing that? Well, we'll only have 40 yards to go to get the pay dirt. And then you can do all your little intermediate stuff, underneath stuff, gain uh, ground three, four yards at a time, and you'll at least be getting a field goal, but you have a better chance of getting into the end zone 
with that short field. But then again, I, I just sit here and, and my devil's advocate is saying, well, how did that work out for them when they had the short field against the Bengals? They threw a screen pass out on fourth and 10. So you just don't know what you're going to get from this offense, unfortunately, at this point. But they don't. I, I've heard the question so much lately. How do you fix the offense? How do you fix the offense? And I really think the best answer is the defense just playing a lot better and giving them short fields and giving them easy points to convert. It, it would be great if the defense a couple times in this game forces the, ste- the uh, Packers into either a punt deep in their own territory or a turnover that lets Ben Roethlisberger only need to get 10 or 15 yards to at least give Boswell a chance. That's, that's I think, the best way to go about it because – this offense ain't really driving 90 yards down the field very often this year. No, they I, I hate to once. I hate to break it they to did you. It That's going to be few and far between. I, I agree. You know, it's kind of frustrating, too, when you think about it. it. It really rings or reminds you of the 2019 season when you're getting 13 points in a game. Yeah, and you're if you thinking, give up 15 or 17 points, excuse me, you're done. That's what you thought You're that about year. done, yeah. And they have given up in back-to-back weeks far more than that. I think it was... 24 against Oakland and, or 23 against Vegas and now 24 against Cincinnati that is and it's it's sad to say an insurmountable uh, uh, feat for the Steelers to overcome for their offense and it's really upsetting because at that time two years ago the quarterbacks were Mason Rudolph and Duck Hodges you have been Roethlisberger this year and you still can't move the ball down the field no that's what's really frustrating and Obviously, the play calling isn't without its fair share of criticism. Obviously, the offensive line isn't without its lion's share of the criticism. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Ben Roethlisberger also has to have some blame on his shoulders for this offensive performance. Absolutely. And he's the first one to tell you that. Um, I, I do kind of subscribe to the theory that the offensive line's poor play and their inability to get a running game going is really hindering Ben Roethlisberger. Uh I mean, how many times have I brought up the Phillip Rivers example? Uh, And the Colts just surrounding him with a great offensive line, good weapons in the passing game, and a really strong running game with two feature backs in Taylor and Naheem Hines. I get get why you do that. Because that's how you're supposed to help older quarterbacks who can't move anymore. The problem is is that Ben can't move anymore and there's no He can't move, but the Steelers are going to have someone like Quentin Nelson who was developing and slowly, not even slowly, but quickly becoming the best offensive lineman in, all, in the right. entire NFL. Right. The Steelers it, just didn't have that person available to them. No, they don't. And they lost David DeCastro, which sitting there doing mad, and that topic came up yesterday, not him specifically, but the fact that five linemen literally left the team of the Chooks last year who were starters, and they had to replace four of them. And if you want to count Banner as the starter last year, they replaced all five of them. And I was just like, what is David DeCastro doing right now? Like, where is the news of him retiring? Where is that? And in a little fit of foolish optimism, I'd say, I was like, go go call him. Like, go see what Dave's doing. Say, hey, you feeling a little better now that you've been away from the game for six or seven months now? Your body's starting to get back in track. Do you think you could do 
one more year for us. Hey, Dave, there's fans in the stands now. It's not as depressing right. as it was last year. When, you're, then, when you're going out of that tunnel, they'll be cheering you like you've never heard them but cheer. But then I remember, before. Jacob, how not good he was last <laughs> year. Like, And obviously he's a borderline Hall of Famer, going to be a Steelers Hall of Honor member. For sure. Was an incredible guard for a decade here in Pittsburgh. He just had the game passing by uh, last year, and that's just the current state that we're in, the Steelers are in, and my mindset is in, is that I'm like, let's go get Dave DeCastro, and then I have to remind myself, oh, wait, he kind of stinks now. So there's just so much that they had to replace that it was probably foolhardy for us to be optimistic at all about this offensive line. And we became very, very optimistic. optimistic. I think it's a little o- unrealistic. I think it's okay to be optimistic about the prospects of it two to three years from now. But this thing needs time to grow, and that's mm. so painfully obvious now. You got a second-year guy in Dotson. You got two rookies that mm-hmm. hopefully are cornerstones moving forward. And Dan Moore of those two rookies, who we thought was ready to be on this starting line, really he's looks better. Like he's he's, he's more ready than Alex Leatherwood in in Vegas. That's fair. But he's certainly not to the point where he's ready to be a starting tackle, especially on Ben's blind side. And the biggest disappointment might be Trey Turner. Because he's playing like a rookie right now, and that's the guy that has the pedigree. Not just with his skill, but mentally, too. The false start against the Bengals. The false start, spitting the in a guy's spitting face. against the Raiders. It just does not look like someone who has been there, done that right. time and time again. Right. That's baffling to me. There is I'll end – sh- I'll end this episode on another assumption – <laughs> Banner should play this week. It'll be interesting to see how they utilize him. Obviously, Chooks dealing with the concussion last week. Maybe they don't have a choice but to just make Banner the right tackle or put him back at left tackle and move uh, Dan Moore over to the right side. But if Chooks is healthy and Banner's health, Banner's back, I think you're going to see that number 72 as reported eligible a lot, and he's going to be the jumbo guy that comes in and help spark this running game because okay the, book, the book is banners the best run blocker that they have so maybe that sparks the running game a little bit his return if he does return that would that would help a lot no. anything to get this running game going tom i'm on board for well that'll do it for this episode of the Steelers standard thanks as always for giving us a listen we will be back with you on our next episode so keep an eye out for that for jacob brecht i am tom opperman thanks as always we'll talk to you on the next edition of the Steelers standard